Good evening. So glad you're here. I don't know if you looked outside, but it is raining. We can praise God for that. I know that some of you, some of y'all may not have seen it since you've been alive if you're young. Uh, it has been a while since we have seen rain. We are thankful that the Lord has blessed us with rain today and pray that it will continue and that it will stop before 40 days or 40 nights. We need a little bit now, but we are thankful, Lord, answering our prayers on that, and we are thankful, above all, that you're here tonight as we come together to worship with one another. Um, we want to be a congregation that does outreach well and be a congregation that inreaches well. We want to find opportunities to spend time together, opportunities to enjoy our time together, and one of those ways will be through a fall festival, which will be coming up on October 19th. That night will be a night of fellowship, it'll be a night of fun, it'll be a night for excitement for our children. We need people that night who can make desserts. We also need people that night who are willing to decorate their cars for a trunk or treat. One of the things we want to do is always find ways to encourage our friends and our neighbors to come meet other good people. I believe some of the best people in the world are in this building. I truly do. And one of the great things we can do is invite our friends who do not come here to come here and be able to meet with people and to get to know them, and maybe they will have an opportunity to come worship with us. But this night would be a great night for that. But for that to happen, we have to have something for them to come to. And so if we only have one truck parked down there, it's going to be really odd. So we need about 80. Don't, okay, you can breathe again. Okay. Uh, it'd be awesome to have a great number that night for our children to be blessed and for our friends to bring their children. I believe it would have a huge impact. Also, realize this Thursday we will be uh, joining in to a, a day of prayer. We will pray here from 6 o'clock that morning until 10 o'clock that morning. And every half hour, we will have different men who will be leading uh, reading Scripture and who will be leading in prayer. Except for the 8 o'clock hour, that hour will be an hour we devote to our firemen and to our first responders, to our policemen, and we will be praying for them by name. So that will be a, a longer hour. We will take up more of that time. Actually, when you think half hour, think 20 to 25 minutes. We'll have time in between for uh, people to be able to fellowship at the end, talk to one another, and for one group to rotate out and another group to rotate in if that happens to be the case. But we'd love for you to, even if you can't be here that day, to pray at home and to offer up prayers to God. We want to do that every day, but it's a day that our governors ask us to, and, and you're going, well, we're already praying anyway. That's good. Let's gather together and do that, and we hope that you will come. Also, next Sunday, I talked about that this morning. What we want to do is do something that you're going to do anyway, which is eat. What I would love for you to do is eat together with one another. To invite another family to your house or to say, hey, let's go meet at Waffle House or go, go meet wherever. Don't ask them to meet at Chick-fil-A. That'd just be cruel, okay? They ain't open. But find a place to go, and while you're there enjoying your meal, take time to share how you came to Christ, to talk about the people who influenced you to do that, to be able to share your story because what we want to become good at is being comfortable sharing God's story sharing what we must do to be saved, sharing what we did to be saved, and listening to other people tell us what to do, what they did to be saved. That's a big deal. Many of the times the way we're going to be able to reach people and to be able to, to share God's Word with them is we have to be willing to listen to people and be really good listeners. And I think this could be a good day of fellowship and a good day that we will be blessed. So make plans to do that either after Sunday morning worship or Sunday night worship. I hope that you'll be part of that. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Our Heavenly Father, you are amazing, and Lord, we thank you for the rain. We thank you for showing up. 
Lord, we know that you live in the sunshine and the rain, and we see you every day. And Lord, we love when we see prayers answered in a way that we would like them to be answered. We thank you for that. God, we know that there are events coming up and events to invite people, events to bring glory and honor to you, events that allow us to spend more time with one another talking about you, Lord. We pray that you will encourage each of us to be involved in those things, but also we we encourage, we ask you to help us as we become evangelists for this congregation, as we become people who spread good news about you and about your people. And Lord, give us that desire. Lord, we thank you for the Sunday night crowd, those who are uh, devoted to being here and choosing to be here and choosing to have this opportunity to worship together. Lord, I thank you that we are here tonight together. And please bless us as we open your word. In Christ we pray, amen. People have said this to us quite a bit during the past 10 months. The days are long, but the nights or the years are short. They're talking about your, your, your raising children. And what I've learned is the days aren't nearly as long as the nights. But for me, that hasn't been a case. I have one incredible wife who's been taking care of Ezekiel so well, and he's doing a, a good job sleeping. We're thankful for that. But even in those times, we're reminded that the days and nights may be long, but the years are short because our children grow up. I remember becoming an, uh, an uncle. And I remember being told that I have a, a niece now that is 20, another niece that's 16, and I have uh, nephews that are the nine-year-old twins. And I remember being told they were coming and how excited I was that they were coming, and then they came. They were precious. They were incredible. Eli and Ethan, they were both born a little bit early. And from the time they were born, it's funny, I know that they were uh, together that entire time in their mama, they wanted to touch When they would sleep, they would find some way to touch. Even when they had baby beds that were in the same room, one of them learned how to climb out of his and climb into the other. They wanted to be together. This is me when I had more hair on my head and less hair on my face, okay? Getting to hold them when they were little. And I loved that time with them. As you see them growing up and maturing, and you see that they both had some claw marks. I don't know if they clawed themselves or each other, but that's sort of who they were. This is how impressed they were with the the Opryland Hotel the weekend before the flood. They weren't very impressed with it. This is them in the cereal aisle. You see them growing up and maturing a little bit. as They would bounce in their little bouncy seat until they would fall asleep. You would see that, and in their carton sweaters, as I call them, you would see that, and as they continue to grow up again, whatever that was wasn't good. Or he was upset that that was all there was when there was another half a jar on his face, okay? That was the key. You see them getting bigger, and you see them growing up. Again, the love for fishing gets passed down. You see them holding somebody else's baby. You see them, again, continuing to enjoy being by one another. And you see them continuing to grow up. We want to see them mature. There are different stages. Now, some of y'all say, I really can't relate to them, and some of y'all might be puppy people, okay? And you realize with puppies, you see this, and you see the cuteness. I know some of y'all want to go, oh, that's sort of how it is. But if you've ever been around labs, you realize sometimes they have problems chewing on stuff. 
This dog is too old to be chewing on stuff. The damage that they may cause, and, and, and you're looking, and guys, it just, uh, I don't know if y'all didn't like the lab picture, but the, uh, there we go, it just moved. And you see the damage they can do. And the thing is, what happens is we hope at some point in time that they grow up, that they grow out. You've been told that, right? They'll grow out of that puppy stage. If I ever had one that didn't, that y'all have lost plenty of shoes to, or anything else, you say, wow, they, they continue to do this, and what we want them to do is to mature. Can I tell you? God wants his people to mature. God wants us to grow up. God wants us to not stay babes. And we look in Hebrews chapter 5. And the Hebrew writer says, beginning in verse 11, he, he said, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Talking about taking a shot at your listeners. Hey, i got a lot to say, but your ears aren't working real good. If you clear them out, I'd keep on speaking. I, I just said it in my language. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. What he's saying is, instead of maturing, somehow you have gone backwards. You have gone backwards. You should have matured to the point that you are teaching by now. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice and distinguishing good from evil. We're saying as we, as we grow in Christ, we ought to be able to look at what is in front of us and determine whether God approves of it or not. And once we are able to do that, we should be people who have the maturity to practice only what God approves of. To me, that's morally. To me, that's doctrinally. To me, that's in areas of worship. To me, that's in every different area of our lives that God wants us to grow and to mature and be able to function in those ways. The thing is, how do we do that? See, the problem is that there are some people who don't want to grow up. I, I thought about this this weekend as I was looking at this. You hear people say, I, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And still saying, I'm still a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. Here's the problem with Toys R Us. They bankrupt. Maybe they should have grown up. Let that sit there. They're no more. They are no more. They have ceased to exist. I don't know what about their business model didn't make it. I don't know if Amazon or different companies you can mail order uh, took, took hold of whatever company. But the thing is, their motto was don't grow up. And they ended up going out of business. We as God's people should be maturing. We should be growing. I'm thankful for a Sunday night crowd because I believe this is a group that would be serious about that. And as I talk to us about it, I just want to do some reminding because realize that what we're in the middle of in this fall focus is we have got to become a people who believe not only in ourselves being disciples but discipling other people. If we do not take seriously God's call for, for me to teach other people what I've been taught, then we will not be fulfilling what God has chosen for us to do. When he's saying you should be teachers by now, I, I think that is being able to teach other people uh, the different uh, concepts in Scripture, but I think a big part of it is are you teaching other people how to walk with God? Are you teaching other people what they need to do in order to become Christians? 
Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians in, in chapter 3, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. Wow, can you imagine getting this letter and going, I'm not sure if I want to keep reading after this? He said, I want to be able to say some things to you, but I am not sure you're mature enough to handle it. For you are still the flesh, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's saying when you read God's Word, what has happened is you are living like it does not have an impact on you. I would say the verse that has probably been quoted more times in this congregation, I may be wrong, but I would say the Great Commission has probably been quoted as many times as any other verse here. No matter how many times we hear it, and still until we start doing it and make it a part of who we are, he's saying we're acting, if, if we don't let God's Word change us and shape us, what he's encouraging us to do is to grow in the faith. What we're going to do tonight, we're going to walk through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul is talking to the church of Thessalonica about growing up in him. Paul does a really good job of complimenting then correcting. Complimenting and saying, hey, here's something you do good. Let's work on this. I love this congregation. And I think we do a lot of things well. There are certain things we can always grow in, just like this church. We can always grow in love. and We can always grow in our love for lost people. Let's look at this together. First of all, we, as, if we're going to be mature Christians, we should have a, a, a faith that, that is a life moving toward holiness. In other words, our life will be a life that is set apart. Our life will be different because of what we've learned in God's Word. When we look First Thessalonians 4, we're beginning in, in verse 1. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and and to please God, just as you were doing, for you do more and more, do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He first off says, you're doing a really good job. <laughs> you're doing a really good job. He, he, he says this, he, he goes and says, I, I want you to know that what you received and you walked to please God, that's what you're doing. He said, I just want you to continue in that. I want you to grow in that. He said, you know what we have told you. He, he is saying, you know this, I want you to grow, to do more and more and continue growing in Christ. That's a really good thing for us to think about. So many times we, we want to be quick to criticize someone else. One of the greatest ways to get somebody to listen to, if you have to tell them something critical, is find a way to tell them how they're doing something good first. Find something that they do well, and make sure you emphasize that. That's where criticism turns into love. You're able to say, hey, I want you to know that I'm just not looking for things you're not doing. I'm looking for the things you're doing well, and I see what you are doing well. I think it's a gift there. And he's going to say, your life should move toward holiness. It's interesting. He said, we ask and urge you, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He said, I've seen a lot of good things. He said, but I'm going to encourage you in this society where you live that you abstain from sexual immorality. Ask and urge your military terms. Some of y'all have been in the military. You were probably never asked to do anything. You're probably told to do a whole lot. 
So the word ask here is really like, I'm commanding you. He said, I am instructing you. I am giving you instructions as a commander would give to his subordinates. And I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. He goes on and says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, he's saying that if you're going to live a life of spiritual maturity, you have to practice self-control sexually. Isn't it interesting that this is not a new problem? Sometimes we think that our, our generation is the only generation to struggle with immorality. It is always, you know, as, as long as there's been men and women, there has been a struggle in this. And he says that if you as God's people want to be different and want to be mature, you have to set yourself apart in your actions in this. He says, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. That whoever disregards this regards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to us. It's always a good idea when you're talking to someone and asking them to live at a higher level to not make yourself the authority. Paul is an apostle. He has a right to demand things. He said, you need to realize that this doesn't come. You're not, you're not, you're not disobeying me. You're actually disobeying God. See, if we want to live a life that is set apart and is different, a life that will make a difference in our community when we're thinking about reaching out to our community, we need to live a life that is set apart and holy because that is what is commanded, not only commanded by God, but it is something that gives honor to God. He said, you abstain. You don't give in to the stuff that people who don't believe in me give in to. You control your own body and realize this is something that I have spoken to you about. You have been warned. How much damage is done when we don't do this? We start thinking about big words like abortion. We think about uh, words like affair. We think about words like adultery. We think about words like fornication. And how many of those begin with people not abstaining from sexual immorality and not controlling their own body? I'm going to tell you, if we want to stand out in the world today for good, we will be people who decide that we're going to be people who do not follow what the world says when it comes to what the world says about sexual behavior. We want to be holy as God has commanded us. We want to grow in, in these different things and grow in wisdom. And, and secondly, he said a mature Christian will not only grow in these things, but they will have a life moving toward loving others. One is controlling yourself and your desires set apart. Secondly, we want to make sure that we are loving other people. And he says, well, the way we do that is we live genuinely in verses 9 and 10. It says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourself have been taught for God to love one another, taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. 
You remember Paul, we, we talked about the Macedonian call that, that he was given a vision that there are people there needed the gospel, so he was going to take that to them. What he's saying is, thank you, brothers in Thessalonica, for donating to me so I can go do this. So many times when Paul talks about partnership and different things, he's thanking people for their financial gifts to be able to go and do mission work. If you look through 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the way through there. He does it again here. He said, can I tell you? This word here, this brotherly love, is the, the Greek word phileo, where we get uh, Philadelphia. It is a strong word. There is, we talk about agape, and sometimes we talk about phileo, like there's this much difference in it. There's not. These are both strong terms of love that we are to have. He said, I'm going to tell you, you have great brotherly love. You love other people in a great way, that the brethren in Macedonia, those people you have helped there, are evidence in the way you have decided to give to that. He said, but you know what? You can grow more and more in this love. See, this type of love is a real love. It is a genuine love. It is not something we do for show. It is something we do because we realize how loved we are and we want to show that love. To others. It is not a it is a get-to love, not a have-to love. When we start thinking about the things we get to do because we are children of God, not the things we have to do. Realize we get to come tonight and worship. It's not about having to come tonight and worship. We get to spend time with God's people. It's not that we have to support mission works. We get to do that. We get to give of our means and generosity to make a difference. It's not about having to spread the gospel of those we work with. We get to do this. We as loved people get to love people. We as saved people get to save people. We as found people get to find people. And that comes when we have true brotherly affection for one another. Can I ask you, what is your ministry? The people here in Thessalonica supported a work there in Macedonia, but what is it that you're committed to that makes a difference in the kingdom? What is it that out of your love, you have said, you know what, this is something I can do to serve others and to help other people come to know Christ? If you don't have one, it would be a good idea to find one or to, to be a part of one, to say, hey, this is going on. I want to do something to help people know that they are loved and cared for. We want to have a life that's set apart if we're going to mature. We want to be genuine people. And also, we want to have a life moving toward respect. In other words, we want the people around us to, to respect us. And respect is what? It is earned. Have you ever tried to demand respect? To tell somebody else, you will respect me? That usually doesn't go well. That usually doesn't go well at all. The difference between a substitute teacher and a regular teacher. The teacher that's there every day many times has the opportunity to earn respect, right? Because they're there, they see a consistency. Sometimes when we come in as a substitute teacher, we can demand they do something. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to happen. We have to earn it also. What if we said, you know what, we want to live in such a way and our life is set apart in Christ that people have a great respect for us, even people that disagree with us, even people who may not like what we stand for, but they have a respect 
because we have earned it, because we have decided to live and love as Christ has. Paul says, he said, and to aspire to live a quietly, to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as you we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent on no one. Can I ask you, how good are you and I doing at living a quiet life in the mind our own affairs? Can I tell you, that is not easy. It, it, it is something that, we're well, not going to read this this small. I blew it up on the next slide. In the NIV application commentary, it is amazing what, what, what Michael Holmes says this means. He said, as a result, Paul urges the believers in Thessalonica to lead a quiet life and to attend to their own concerns. The NIV literally says to mind your own business, which is actually what it means. Two idioms with similar meaning. A secular usage of phrase can describe a principled withdrawal from the public arena. The first one evokes an image of withdrawal from the noise and antagonism and strife of public manner in favor, in favor of a quiet, more contemplative setting. In the Old Testament elsewhere, it talks about images of virtue, peace, tranquility, and security. Can I tell you, when I look at a social media, I actually see noise and antagonism and strife. Does that fit? For many, that's what it is. And for whatever reason, Christians have decided that it is their right and duty to cause more noise and antagonism and strife. Some people see that as their ministry. It is not. Paul said, if you want to earn respect, then be people who live for him. He, he's not finished. He said the second phrase suggested withdrawal from public matters to devote your time to your own private interest or to give attention to that which you are best suited. He says what? To work with your hands. He's advising the Thessalonians to avoid as much as possible the strife and social prayers and tumult of the public arena and focus instead on the needs of building up of a congregation. What if all the energy we spent barking about politics, we spent encouraging our church family? Just a thought. Do we have a right and responsibility to vote? Yes, do that. What if we, instead of the time that we spend with antagonism and strife from a 24-hour news cycle, allowing whether it be Fox News or CNN, whatever it is that we devote ourselves to, to fill us and, and, and talk about that, that we said, you know what? There's people lost, and I might want to do something about that. That I want to make a difference. Instead of writing an op-ed piece that, that, or, 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 or doing an open letter, and say, you know, maybe the best thing I can do is to write a direct letter to someone who needs encouragement today a personal letter to build somebody up, a personal letter that builds up what somebody's doing and, and a life that is spent. And he's talking to people, and he's saying to work with your hands, to be diligent in the work of the church. To not get so caught up in the noise that is everywhere else and be diligent in that. 
In the words of Hank Williams Sr., many times we should mind our own business and be about whose business? Our Father's. This is difficult, but I had a, a good mentor to me, a guy by the name of John Dale, that told me something that has really helped me, and it really helped me a lot. He said his dad shared this with him. He said, you don't have to attend every fight you're invited to. You don't have to. <laughs> and you sure don't have to jump in one that's not yours. What if our energy in maturing Christ was not to get caught up in the antagonism, but decide that we are going to be above all encouragers? Encouragers of who? Of lost people to help them see Christ. Encouragers of saved people to help them, keep them from falling away. That we're going to be people who build one another up and help them to see Christ and, and to help them to hold on and encourage people to work in ministries and find a way to serve and, and to make a way to serve. Look how personal it says to mind your own affairs and work with your hands. Why? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. One of the problems that is going on here in Thessalonica, I talked about this in my Bible class the other night, is that in First and Second Thessalonians, they have a misunderstanding about when Jesus is going to come back. And since some of them believe that Jesus is going to come back immediately, they have quit their jobs, and in their idleness, they have become busybodies and antagonists. He's saying, how about, how about you focus on encouraging people and get back to work until the Lord comes? How about you do that? That way you're not dependent on the church. You're not dependent on other people. You're able to work and provide for yourself. Not only that, be generous to other people. Because he's just talked about Macedonia. You've already been able to give to that. But be generous in that to make a difference in the kingdom. He, he's making a point there that be, be, be what? Be found doing work for the Lord. See, respect cannot be imposed or begged. It can be earned and offered. And for us to live in a way that people respect us, because you know why? I don't know about you, but I tend to listen to people who I respect. In a world of competing voices, I don't have to listen to everybody. But when it comes to giving me instruction and criticism, whatever else, I'm more likely to listen to the person I respect than the person I do not. That's the same for us. Some people like drive-by evangelism where they just sort of yelp and let people know that they don't, if they uh, don't turn, they'll burn. That's not exactly, I think, the best way to do things. But people who respect you are more likely to listen to you in spiritual matters. And the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves makes a difference there. He says, we, we want you, we're always to be God-sufficient. He said, but I want you to be self-sufficient, being somebody who earns that. I love this cartoon. He says, I asked uh, for a book on self-sufficiency, and the guy told me to go get it myself. You know, asking somebody to show you the self-help section, like, go help yourself, you know. We earn respect, and as we do that, that gives us a voice, an opportunity to influence others. 
Some of you have looked into self-sustaining farms. I have a, a friend who preaches in Kentucky, and he has decided to develop a place and raise the animals he needs and the, the food he needs. That way he could support his family, and he has greatly enjoyed that. He said, live a life where you can not only uh, support yourself, but be able to be generous toward others. He said, a maturing Christian would not only have a life that is set apart, would have a life that, that is something that... that, that is able to earn respect, but also would have a life that is moving toward hope. Here's the thing, as we walk in Christ, we become more and more sure that the Lord is coming back. We have this guarantee of His promise and know that He's coming. We see that down in verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Again, fallen asleep. We, we like using different words than died. We even talk about now, people have passed away. People have expired like their milk that's two weeks old, okay? He's just using the term, people have passed away, and people here, their misunderstanding is hurting them because they're like, what about the people who died between when Jesus went and him coming back? What's going to happen to those people? He said, the, Lord, the Lord's going to take care of them. You can know that he's going to take care of them. The Lord will bring with him those who have already passed away. God is going to take care of them. He said, we can have hope. We should not grieve when Christians die. It didn't say we should not grieve. He said, do not grieve as people that have no hope. There's a difference there. We can be sad when people can pass, and pass away, and, and we want to live in such a way that we have such an impact on other people. Maybe like Dorcas, like others, when they pass away, people are really sad that they're gone because they were so good and made such an impact on other people. But says we don't grieve as people that have no hope because we know that we will see the Lord, that He is coming back, and we will see His people again. Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let people know that, yes, when we die, the Lord is going to come back. And he's going to raise everyone up and know that He will take care of those who are His. We have this guarantee and we have this hope, knowing that Jesus will come again. And the more mature we become in Christ, the more precious this truth becomes to us. The closer we get to that point we think we will pass, the more we want to be able to count on this, to know that the Lord is coming back and to know the Lord will, will take, bring us back with Him. If we, when we pass away, we want to know that. There is a hope and a maturity that comes in that. There's a photo. It's actually an old painting of an older man, looks like a grandfather and his grandson. And they are looking at their house burned to the ground, and all they have is their bedclothes on. And the old man looks at the house, and the little boy looks at the house, and the little boy just starts crying and wailing. And the older man, he says, wipe your tears away, boy. God ain't dead. He's just trying to give some wisdom. 
Yes, this is horrible, but God ain't dead. God is still alive, and we as his people cannot live as people here on earth that are always talking about the sky falling. We have a Lord that will come back. And the Lord is preparing somewhere something what? That is far greater. He has something for us that he will bring. How do we do this? How do we make a difference? How do we mature in Christ? One, that's the, is, is we should be people who chase holiness. We should want to be holy. We should want to be set apart as we started out with. In other words, we need to make some clear decisions based on what God's Word is, on what is right or wrong, and we need to live based on those and determine our morals based on what God's Word has said, no matter what is okay or talked about in society. Secondly, we need to be people who are looking around with others of brotherly love, and we need to form really strong friendships. That's what helps us make it through this world. That is the encouragement that we have and is the strong friends that we have here. I look around this auditorium. There are people that I have known in this auditorium and have known for over 20 years that are good friends and are still good friends today. Others that I have known for about 10 months are known for a little longer than that. And I value your friendship and value as we grow closer to each other. Why? Because it is in those friendships that we can influence one another to walk more closely to God and encourage one another to love and good works. Also, if we want to grow toward maturity, we, we want to grow in our confidence toward Christ. And we do that as we have a vibrant faith. If our faith starts to make a difference on not only us, but on the people around us. One of the fishing lures I, I like to use is called a, a vibrating jig. And it is a jig that has a little blade on it, and it moves. And what it does is it causes vibrations in the water. And because of the way a bass is built, it has a lateral line. I know you may not want to know all this fishing stuff, but it can feel it. It can feel it even when it can't see it. What if we had a faith that people could feel? To help people to respond to that faith that they could feel, not only that, you want to throw a color that a fish can see so they can see it and feel it. How awesome would that be if we had that kind of faith? And that we live every day, if we want to mature with the end in mind, with what? Bringing others to Christ. We want to live a life that is set apart. We want to be people who chase that holiness. We want to have a, a life that builds strong friendships and relationships with people. A life that, that has a earned respect so that we can influence others. And we have that through our vibrant faith because what we want to do is reach as many people as possible with the gospel while we're here on earth. What Jesus wants for you is the same thing we talked about tonight. He wants all of us to mature in a way that our faith impacts others for good. And we encourage the saved to, to stay faithful and to, to, to work and we... Encourage the lost to love and to follow Jesus. That's what growing up in Him looks like. Tonight, can we help you in this? Tonight, there may be somebody here who needs to become a Christian. Please make that decision. We would love to help you tonight to choose to become a child of God through, through faith, confessing His name, being baptized for mission of your sins. Or it may be tonight that you want this church family to pray with you and for you, and we would love to do that. If we can help you in this walk, would you come now while we stand?